Do you class yourself as a true Wales supporter? A real Wales away fanatic? I take it you've got one of those bucket hats then. Maybe a little bobble hat. Little Wales away t-shirt. If not, you're a fraud. Are you really a Wales fan? Can you really turn up at the stadium to support the boys and then look yourself in the mirror and say, yep, I'm a proper, proper fan. I don't think so. How do we rectify that? I'll tell you how. Get yourselves on the internet, get on Google and type in Spirit of 58. Get on the website and have a little look. Get your credit card out and make some purchases. You've got the bucket hat. You've got the bobble hat, you've got t-shirts, pin badges, hoodies, mugs, key rings, air fresheners, car stickers, beach towels, sweaters, shorts, replica shirts, flip-flops, record bag, a little rucksack, a little fashionable rucksack. Spirit of 58. It's got all your needs as a supporter. He'll take care of you. Tim Williams' website. Spirit of 58, for the real Wales fans. He likes to tell you if anyone will listen About his seven caps, his chocolate knees His distinct lack of pace Now it's a long shot is happening Longman's Football World podcast listeners I'm back with Simon Church old churchy known him for quite a few years now uh, been involved in the Welsh setup Welsh squads from when he uh, almost burst on the scene with the under 21s the successful side that they had there and then uh, stepping up to the to the senior setup where he'd been a part for for a good decade and and played his part Got a good number of caps, scored a handful of goals, um, and of, of course, part of that squad that that made the journey uh, over to France for Euro 2016. So it'll be good to it'll be good to get his his views on everything from from that Euro 2016 squad to having to retire early through injury. I'm sure we'll be comparing notes. Um, we're going to be golfing first, so 
Hopefully we're not going to be too fatigued, too sunburned. Beautiful weather. Heading up to, to Hanishan Golf Club. Uh, so shout out to them. Uh, shout out to Cancer Research Wales. Um, the, the, the charity that, that is putting on this golf day. And much more. Uh, doing all sorts of, of fantastic work to, to raise money for such a good cause. Uh, so Cancer Research Wales, if you can help in any way, uh, please do. So looking forward to this chat. It's not. It's been a little while since I saw Churchy, so hopefully it'll be a good catch-up, a catch-up that you guys will enjoy. Enjoy Simon Church. Simon Church, it's good to see you, mate. It's been a while. It has been a while. It has been a while. It's great to see you. Good Nick, how do you keep in such good shape? Are you, uh, are you starting to come to terms with retirement and not exercising every day, yeah? Yeah, I'm kind of, uh, yeah, let myself go a little bit. <laughs> it's, um, as you said, it's a bit different to uh, enjoying the summer. Enjoying the summer, enjoying your drink, enjoying the food and not having to go to the gym. It's not evident that you've, uh, that you've lost shape. But That's very kind of you. Do you, um, do you sense that like when you, when you look at yourself in the mirror and stuff? How long has it been? 10 weeks since you ten, retired? 10 weeks, yeah. I, I get reminded from my missus, probably the, the, uh, the parents-in-law when we had a barbecue the other day, I took my shirt off. Yeah. They said, ooh, <laughs> let yourself go, haven't you? Have you ever had a six-pack? Yeah, yeah. So I've normally got kind of a six-pack, but with a little bit of fat. I've never been like the slimmest. Yeah. But now the six-pack's completely flat. It's completely flat. I'm starting to get, you know, these kind of pouches what sort of uh, what sort of body fat are we talking when your clubs are test you this is the thing you know at one club i was like eight and then i'd move clubs i'd be 14 yeah yeah there I are mean, different ways yeah. of testing yeah so i never really knew where i was but i was in around the kind of nines tens well, you know you'd be an eight the lowest one means that's the one you were but hey i'm i don't know how i got to an eight but it's like you said. It's it's if if I'm fourteen, I don't I couldn't care less. Couldn't care less. Is that how you feel now that you've retired? Because you know we we discussed it earlier, uh, in terms of when I when I finished playing, I had that spell whether it was six months, nine months. I'm not sure what it was. I did nothing basically, mm. because you you need that time for your body. First of all, for your body to to get used to not exercising every day, not pounding your limbs and your joints every day. And then the flip side, not having that routine and someone telling you you have to be in at nine o'clock to do this, to do that. It's nice to get away from that for a little bit, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, I've only had 10 weeks off and it's kind of the summer holidays like we would have it as a player. But I'm thinking I don't need to go to the gym. I don't need to go out this morning for a run just to keep myself ticking over. Or oh, you starting to get a bit of a pouch over the seatbelt when you're driving yeah, yeah you don't have to worry about that so much and it's, it is strange because before I was quite you know I don't want to come back into pre-season with 12% body fat something like that because you know you're going to be running yeah even more than everyone else you've been the fat club yeah and that's the last thing you want to do especially if there's a new manager a new club or or whatever so now I see we're sat here having a few few pints and I'll you know what the, the seatbelt test is a good one. The seatbelt test, yeah. like, like people will look at me and think uh, I've never had a problem with my weight, and I haven't. Mm. Um, but it's all relative to you. 
So you know that before I'd sit in the can, there was no pouch. Yeah. I've had a couple of moments and it can change from week to week. It can be how you feel that particular week uh, that, that you've eaten a little bit of shit. You've, you've stopped off at a few too many service stops as I can do at times. And suddenly you look down, it's the lower seatbelt, isn't it? That's, that's Forget the about one. the one that goes across yeah. your body, the lower one. If that's not in the right place, you're thinking, oh, there's yeah. a bit more hanging over here than that's there used to be. That's kind of how you judge yeah. where you're at, isn't it? Yeah. You know, you fear that. I was driving on the way here and I was in the car for more, you know, more than an hour. And that's when you start realising, oh, hold on a second, I'm getting a bit of, a, getting a bit of an itch here. Yeah. It's hanging over. <laughs> what, what have you done? You let yourself go, but... You know, like I said, it's the first six, nine months. I think once I get past that stage where I'm like looking in the mirror and I'm thinking, well, you've got, you've got to do something about this. But up to that stage, I'm enjoying myself. It can, it can go, it can go either way. I, I can see how, you know, you see some former footballers who are massive. You know, they never get to that stage. They don't miss exercising at all, mm. uh, whether it's personal pride or whatever you want to call it. And they just enjoy having a pint. And that's okay. Some people like that. I had that close to a year. And then you're like, ah, come on now. And it's not for the way you look. It's the way you feel. I, you know, more, more than anything, you're like, I just feel a little bit shittier. Yeah. And the exercise actually makes you feel a little bit better. It does. It does. And that's kind of, you know, we were talking earlier. When we have a lot of injuries, you spend a lot of time in the gym. And it kind of puts you off going back in the gym. But I used to enjoy it. I used to go, enjoy going to the gym, doing rehab, because it does, it makes you feel better. But then it's the motivation after you don't need to go in the gym. So where do I get that motivation from? Well, you don't have to go to the gym. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I've got really, more, more with running. One, I can't run that much. I know I've got a limit of maybe three or four miles before my knee starts killing me. But there's some days where you feel a little bit shitty and you want to do something. There's no time to go to the, the gym. So you'll go for a run and you'll, you'll go five miles. That doesn't happen often, by the way. Yeah. And you sacrifice that, oh my God, my knee's hanging off for two days, but you just need to get something out of your system. Yeah. But there's, there's got to be, Churchy, something nice about that first summer where there is no pre-season. I don't know if, did you like pre-season? Did you hate it? I enjoy. I I won't say I enjoyed preseason because everything that comes with preseason, the running, the double sessions, maybe even triple sessions, the constant you're in all the time, you don't get days off. But I enjoy being there with the boys, looking forward to the season. I enjoy that buzz of getting back into. You know, you've had your time off. You enjoy it. I've always been that kind of have two weeks off. You don't do anything, and then you slowly three or four times a week. I was training, getting myself ready for the next season. Yeah. And now I'm out of that situation. I can enjoy myself and not have to worry. I mean, I did a workout the other day. I was at home. So the surgeons told me not to do any running, not to do any kind of biking, anything like that. I thought, okay, so how am I going to get it? I just went on the internet, just did like a YouTube thing on yeah. the, on the, I'm thinking, what am I doing? I've got a sweat on and halfway through, I'm thinking, I can't be bothered. Yeah. And it's just one of those ones where you can just now just relax. And if you want to do that, you can. If not, it doesn't matter. Yeah, it's quite nice. You know you're not going to... There's no fine. Yeah, there's, there's no fine. There's not going to be a fine when you... It, come July. Yeah. 
and uh, normally you'd go into training and people you'd get your weight tested your body fat everything would be get, getting tested comparisons to where you were last year maybe there's none of that mate yeah you can enjoy it it's so intense isn't it you feel like there's pressure on you to come back they give you the pressure to come back in better shape than you've left has that been a change for you you know the start of your career i i definitely had a bit of both where i had that period where summer was for enjoying pre-season was then for getting fit and then it slowly changed where pre-season is actually now not your summer holiday it's a pre-pre-season yeah where you've got to take over to make sure you're not left behind is that is that all you knew yeah i think like i said at the beginning i've always been put in this mode of you know enjoy your first one two weeks off and then you've got four or five weeks to slowly get yourself ready for pre-season like you said pre-pre-season and the last couple of years, I've been training hard throughout the off-season, getting myself ready, because I know that it's important for me to have a good pre-season to put me in good stead for, for the season. The manager thinks, hey, he's gone away, he's worked hard. But for players, you're, you're there constantly doing it day in, day out. You need a rest. And it's not surprising that now I've got to... I mean, I'm only 29, but for years I've been struggling with you know, my hips, getting injuries now and again you need that rest social media is a killer isn't it not a killer these days players you see it it's all over social media pre-pre-season they've gone for a run or whatever and I saw one um, I think it's a guy I've had on the podcast Sam Saunders plays for Wickham and he posted something old Saunders a picture of him by the the pool chilling out and kind of saying he did go for a run earlier but he didn't video it so yeah. did, did it actually happen? Yeah. You know, I bet if you played now, there's almost the pressure. You've, you've got to let people know that you're yeah. doing this and doing that. That's, that's the thing, especially nowadays, if, if you're out of contract, you have to show that you're doing work. Oh, he's keeping himself, he, he, you know, he's looking to get a good contract. He's looking to kind of keep himself in shape. He's in the best shape, you know, possible. Let's give him a chance. You feel like you've got that pressure to do it. Even when you're off, off scene, I, I see John Terry do it quite a lot. I mean, I don't know what stage he's at now, but he shows that he's running, he's doing all this. And I mean, if that, you know, if, if I think you have to kind of show that you're still doing that. I've never done it myself because again, as soon as the season finishes, my gut seems to get a bit bigger. Yeah. But, um, it's just putting the word. I've I've always liked to do my own thing, and kind of keep it away from everyone else. Because there's some players you'll know plenty. I'll know plenty who do it for the fans more than anything. But that could be a motivation. If that's what gets you out of bed to do that run, the fact that I have to put this on Instagram to let people know what I'm doing, then good for you. That's that's just another way of doing it. But there's a bunch of lads who you share a dressing room with that are looking at that video saying. Look at this twat. He doesn't work that hard when he's training normally day to day. Exactly, yeah. And that's that's the difference in kind of people you come across. There could be people who go to, you know, Magaluf, Ibiza, do all this. They don't train the whole summer. Come back and they they piss the run in. I mean, I've had a few a few like that where you just like, I'm working so hard off the off I'm blowing after the first run. I'm the, getting pouch, it. the pouch is going nowhere. The pouch is going nowhere. You know, you've been told you're a bit overweight. You need to kind of come on. To, okay, yeah, no problem. And these guys have been taking the taking the piss for six weeks. Like they've been enjoying themselves, doing whatever. Come in, cigar on, running. And you know, that's just you just get a mixture of that. There's also the flip to that 
to what I, I just described. There's the guy who you line up for that first run in pre-season and you're looking at each other, that your heart rate's going a little bit quicker than normal, apprehension, you're a bit nervous, and you're, you know, you're talking amongst each other saying, oh, have you done anything over the yeah. summer? Nah, I've done nothing, mate. As soon as that whistle goes, they're flying and you're looking at them thinking, you twat. Yeah. You have absolutely done loads in the summer. Some people like to show it on Instagram. Some people like to keep it to themselves a little bit more, don't they? See, that's, that's the thing. I think deep down, everyone in pre-season, we're a team. It's all about the team. But in pre-season running, I, when I was at MK Dons, we had a leaderboard. Okay. So a combination of different things, whether it's long distance, sprints, fat testing, all this kind of stuff, there's a leaderboard. So there's always competition in, in pre-season. Whether, whether there's, you know, you're running together, you always want to be at the front, yeah. don't you? There's always someone that just goes, yeah, we'll run together, we'll run together, okay. Bang, 400 metres left or yeah. whatever. He's gone, <laughs> he's left me. What are you doing? And you know what, you're always going to have that because I think you, you need to, sh you feel like you need to show the manager that you've come back. Yeah. I want it this season. I'm in your, I want to be in your plans. I'll do anything it takes. And I, th I think I've said it on uh, on a previous episode, I had that example at Swansea. Roberto was the manager, and um, you know I'd come back from long-term injuries towards the back end of the season before. So you're coming back wanting to be fit, and there was like a midfield three of Leon, Ferry Boda, and Darren Prattley. And Pratt was always quite loud, and you know he he was fit. So we'd come back and we'd do the VO2 max test on the treadmill, where the treadmill goes quicker every minute, I think and the incline goes up, yeah. and he was before me. And I've seen Pratt come off and he's done 11 minutes, and I'm thinking, I'm gonna beat him. But he's come off at 11 minutes, just no problem at all. He's, he's got a cigar in his mouth, he's chilling out. I've gone in just to beat him, because yeah. he's in my position. As Soon as 11 minutes, two seconds came, I'm almost collapsing off. I'm throwing up for a couple of hours, <laughs> like sick, thinking, was it worth it? You know, just to beat a guy in my position, it, it wasn't. That was no. a big lesson learned. And then I was with a fit group for the rest, for like two weeks of pre-season, right at the back of the, of the, uh, of the group, and Pratt is just cruising along. That's right. It's not until you get older where you realise, you know, do I need to kind of do that? Mm. But you get to that stage and you do. It's just kind of subconscious. You just think he's done that. I need to. Be, I need to beat him. Here. He's in my position. I have to beat him. Even if it, even if it's by two seconds, I've beaten him. Yeah. And there's always competition like that. And I I don't know if it's good or bad for the team. I I think it's always there. I think it's always going to be there. Football. Football. You know, I always say football's a team sport, but you're also self-employed. You mm. you got to look after yourself. You got to look after your position. Trying you're trying to get into a team. But you can be friends. You don't have to be an enemy with everybody who plays in your position, do you? No, no. I, I, I've always been kind of the floater. So I'll float about. I, 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 love, I love the whole kind of changing room vibe, getting on with people. You're coming in every day, you're doing what you love. You're having a laugh at the same time. And I've always loved that. But sometimes, I think now especially nowadays, there's more clicks, there's more kind of competition, he's playing, I hope he doesn't do well, because then I'm gonna get my chance. There's more of that kind of coming into to, to the game now, what, what I've seen anyway. Are you, you know, we can laugh and joke, we can sit here and chat about how you're enjoying your summer. There was, there's gotta be an element of you thinking, I'm gonna miss this. 
you know, that day-to-day. -day. More than anything, I know people, it's almost a cliche, the dressing room and the banter and this and that, but I'm sure you're going to miss going in every day. Definitely. Uh, it's still quite raw. It's still, I didn't plan for this to happen this early. Um, but yeah, I think that's a massive thing. You know, you're going in into work. I say work, it's into, into football. And you know you're gonna, something's going to happen. Someone's going to come with a story. Someone's going to do a prank. Someone's going to make you laugh. I'm sat at home now with my two kids, with my missus. I'm trying to have a bit of banter. She's staring at me. Yeah. She's thinking, you're a fucking Shut idiot. Shut up. Yeah, you're a fucking idiot. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know what? The longer that goes on, that will probably be the hardest thing. Not to be around the boys. You know, you take it for granted, I think. The, the social side, you come out of it. You know, it's great being with the kids. It's great being back with the family. But you need that kind of release of playing football, having a laugh every day. And then, you know, we're serious as well. It's not just a laugh, but, yeah. you, you know, you go in and there's always something happening. So when did you know that your time was up? Was it, was it a specific, was it a build-up? Was it uh, something that happened in training? Yeah, I think... I think it was kind of building up. Like once I had the surgery, I always knew I'd get back. It wasn't an issue. This when was that? This is this about 18 months ago, I was in Holland. And I was getting kind of, even when I was in the Euros, I was getting work done every day. I always had stiff hips. I always kind of, you know, in before training, working on it, after training, stretching, I was doing a lot. And then it wasn't until I went to Holland, we're playing on artificial pitch kind of got heavier and heavier. I was getting more and more pain. I remember I was playing against Feyenoord away and I thought this is a good game, this is a great game to do well in. And I got the ball and we played, we played against PSV on the Wednesday. I played 90 minutes, we got battered. And I was just running about trying to get the ball, it's what I usually do. And I felt after that game, I was like, I'm in trouble here, I won't say anything. Just get through it. The manager was really good with me. He kind of said, you know, just get through it. Train Friday, play Saturday. Played against Feyenoord. I took a shot and I literally, I fell on the floor. I was like, I can't get up here. I can't get the ball. And then I thought, you know what? There's something seriously wrong here. Um, went to, went away with Wales actually uh, on the Sunday. And we went and had a scan. I told them about what happened, had a scan. Because you know what the well setup's like, it's, it's different gear. If, you, if you're going to get a little injury, almost you want a well squad coming up yeah. so you get the good treatment off the guys there. It's brilliant. And they, they knew exactly what to do. They took me down to the see a specialist. We had some MRIs, x-rays, and they said, look, this, this, it's basically, you need, you need surgery on this. So I, I went away, had surgery. What was the problem? I had no cartilage in my uh, in my hip joint. It's a strange one, isn't it? Yeah, so uh, it must have been a build-up through the years. No cartilage. I had a bit of a de deformity in the in the joint, so they had to microfracture my uh, my hip joint to kind of stimulate cartilage growth or whatever. Um, had that. Then my rehab in Holland. It, it wasn't great. I mean, I was on crutches for twelve weeks. It was quite big surgery. Yeah. And it wasn't great. And I felt myself doing it. I felt myself, you know what, this isn't great. I was in the gym doing the same thing every single day. And it was just taking its toll. And uh, even when I was running, I was getting setbacks. I'd, I'd start going in different directions. I'd get setbacks. I'd start kicking the ball. 
get setbacks. So that the rest of the season, I didn't I didn't play a single minute, and then I kind of thought, well, what am I going to do? I'll be all right. You know, I try and hopefully the Euros would have been enough to kind of get me another deal. Right. So so give me, give me a time frame. Euro Euro 2016. You then moved to Holland, start that season. Yeah, I came came back to MK Dons, who got relegated yeah. from the Championship to League One. I said I wanted to leave. Again, there was issues with that. <clears throat> I was going to go to Russia. <laughs> Fell through. One of the chief execs got uh, got arrested for fraud, okay. <laughs> which is kind of a blessing. Um, I was going to go to Australia. Yeah. MK Dons messed that up. Uh, and then last couple, I think it was last three or four days, Holland came up. And I was like, you know what? If there's a time to go to abroad, it's now. You yeah. never know when you're going to get that opportunity. And I knew the manager. So he used to manage uh, Panathinaikos. He was a coach at Reading when we were in the Premier League. Okay. And he always kept in touch. I nearly went to Panathinaikos a couple of years ago. I thought, you know what? I'd love to go abroad. Come up, got the deal done. And then four games later, the fourth game's final. Okay. Done. Done. And then it was lit. So that was back in October. And then didn't play for the rest of the didn't season. Didn't play for the rest of the season. And then I didn't sign again uh, to, for Scunthorpe until October, the following October. Yeah. So it was a whole whole year and a bit out. So you have had a pre-season by yourself? I literally, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, was, yeah. I was. I was training every day. I had a special, I was going to a specialist guy, a movement specialist who's ha- who helped me kind of change my training routines, what I was doing to get fit. And all the time I was always getting kind of little niggles, but you know, until you're in that day-to-day training, you never know. Yeah. I always thought, you know, there's no problem here. I just need to get, get a club, get training. Failed a few medicals. Uh, and then, yeah, Scumfort kind of took the chance of me and, and went from there. You say take a chance, they just didn't give you a medical? They literally, yeah. I, Graham Alexander I've phoned me there, up. Mate. He phoned me up and he was like, okay, let, let's see what you got. And I, I wasn't afraid to go and kind of go down and, sh- and show what I was about. We did a, a session in the morning. It was 5v5s. And you know when you haven't done anything, you haven't trained properly, you think you're fit, you can do all the runs in the world. Yeah. You think you're at a good level. Until you do 5v5s, I was blowing. But I got through it. And he was like, I'm going to take, take you out this afternoon. And, you know, I was thinking, oh, okay. Do a bit of shooting drills, see what, you, see what you're like, see what you're moving like. Got back in, popped pops and pills just get through it and you know what I was, I was on fire probably never scored so many goals in my life yeah. and he was like we need to get this done literally there and then we got we got a deal done and then I, met, I come on on the so this was a Thursday I hadn't had pre-season I hadn't played a game in a year come on 15 minutes done alright won a penalty we won the game next game bosh my hamstring went I started hamstring went and and just from then on, it was kind of, I didn't have that back in the pre-season. I didn't have, I must have played about three games in, in over 18 months. And it just, it, I think that didn't help. Do you find, um, as you were going on there, I've, I've been there, I promise you, where at times you, not that you look yourself in the mirror, but you, you, you're saying to yourself, I can't believe someone's just given me a contract here. Because you know physically you're close to being done. But you need a wage, you need work. So you need someone to take that chance on you. 
and you still got it in you where you think, actually, I will go here. So my one was Hibs. So you go from Inverness, had a successful season. You go to Hibs and you think, yeah, I can still do it. And then after a couple of training sessions, my knee was hanging off, basically. And then I'm thinking, oh, shit, I'm in trouble here. They've just signed me on a two-year deal. Yeah. And three days in, I'm struggling to train. But you need your work, don't you? Hundred percent, and but at the time as well, you probably think I, I'll be all right. Even if you get a little niggle or a li- you know your knee gets swollen or something like, you have to come out of training for a week or two. You think I'll just get back. It's fine. It's not a problem. But I I had it and it kept coming and yeah. I started doubting myself. Even when I was in Holland with the rehab, I was like, I'm not going to get back from this. Got back from it, started feeling good because I wasn't training every day. I was training by myself. So I was training three or four, maybe five times a week. I was thinking, oh, it's feeling good, but it's in controlled environment. Yeah. So until you were there doing that day in, day out. And then, yeah, it come, it come about where I was kind of training, getting injured, coming back, getting injured again, coming back. And then I moved to Plymouth. And again, I think it was a little bit with my ego and everything like that. You know, when you two years ago, I was playing the Euros. I played in the semi-final of the Euros and, and like, it's amazing. But it kind of brings a little bit of... Uh, I don't it's killed say, you a little bit because you've, you've, yeah. you've had a taste of the almost the ultimate. Mm. And then your ego then, if you don't keep it in check, and it doesn't matter what sort of person you are, that ego will... We've all got egos. It's just you've had that taste and you... Th- you thinking yourself, I could play at a certain level, and then for Plymouth to be maybe the only club who shows an interest, there's got to be a little part of you that's thinking, fucking hell, I'm better than this. But maybe by that time, maybe you weren't, because you couldn't be better. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I mean, I played, I must have made s- s- five appearances for Scumfort, five or six appearances for Scumfort off the bench, because I kept getting injured, kept coming back on the bench, doing so, getting injured. And then I nearly went to uh, to Poland with Adam Owen. Yeah, he was like, "Look, I, I know how to look after you. I trust Adam. I've known him for years, and he got and the he, opportunity and he would as well." Yeah, yeah. And you know what? I thought this is it. Get back. He can look after me because I needed looking after. I was at this, this. You know, I was 29. You know, you look at the older pros where they don't train maybe kind of once or twice a week. Yeah, I was at that stage where I needed to only train once or twice a week. Went to Poland. They had a quick look at me, and they were like, "Nah." We're not touching you. I was like, right, I need something. Next day, Plymouth were always there. And to be fair to, to Plymouth, they were, they're a good, they're a good club. I, I just didn't agree with how the manager did his thing. So I, I, the first thing I mentioned to him was, I can't train every day. And he's old school. He's old school. You need to train twice on a Monday. Yeah. So on Monday is normally a second day recovery. Little blow for the lads. We're training twice on a Monday. We're training twice on a Tuesday. I'm like, Gaffer, I can't do this. It's like, just get through it. And you know what? If you don't train on a Thursday, you're not involved on a Saturday. Yeah. And that's when it started getting to you. I'm like thinking, okay, that's what we're talking about, egos. And you start thinking, oh, I don't need to do this. Just why, why, why do I have to train on Thursday? It's not good for my body. But he was like, you train Thursday. And then come Saturday... I'm killing, I'm absolutely killing. And I'm thinking, I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to come on. I don't want to come on. Because if you would have, if you would have tailored your training to make sure, you, you've been through it in the Wales setup. So 
uh, I, I have it. We, we, we discussed earlier how you meet people when you're at your highest who are very good at their jobs and they know how to look after you to make sure that you are right for the Saturday. But then the lower you go because of injury, you know, your level drops, which means the clubs you play at, uh, the level of those clubs are, are less and less. And then the staff, obviously, those staff that you crave, that you needed, or, or you need them, they're at the big clubs. You don't get it. So you get someone who wants you to train every day. There's no awareness of looking after players. 100%. It's so frustrating. Isn't it's it? so frustrating as a player. You think the last, you know, the, the most basic thing is to make sure you're okay for a Saturday, no matter what it is. And like I said, with the well set up, especially now, it's, it's amazing. It's been, it's been amazing for the last couple of years. And, you know, everyone wants to go there. You get looked after. You get tested. Oh, you maybe done a, a bit too much this week. We'll yeah. take you out a little bit. But, you know, that's what you want as players. You want to train every day, but you want to be ready for the match day. That's the most important thing. But like you said, I went, I went to Plymouth and there was a, a physio. And I don't want to kind of disrespect anyone or, or anything like that, but the physio done what the manager told him. Yeah, yeah. So if the physio goes, oh, he's struggling a little bit, he's got a tear. Manager says, I want him to play. Okay, no problem, he's playing. Yeah. And you think, okay, you need at least the physio to back you up on what you're saying. Um, but yeah, it's, it is frustrating because at the time I needed to train once or twice a week. And I think I've pushed myself and I've pushed myself beyond what I should have done. Yeah. And I think that's had, that's had a massive factor in, it, in... It's a tough one because if you come across those, we, we, we'll call them old school managers, you know, some are not that, some will see that as a disrespect, but we see them as an mm. old school type. Um, up at Inverness, I, I had Terry Butcher, who, who was that type. And it took a long time for me to let him know I couldn't do what he wants people to do. And over time, in fairness to him, he, he adapted his way. Uh, Maurice Malpass was his assistant. They did adapt their way of thinking for me, even though they hated it. Because as players, I can imagine, they would have trained every day. If there was a double session, they did it. If they had to run, they would run. Whereas maybe I couldn't do it. And that was fine. They, they accepted that sometimes they'd pull me out of a session. But then it comes down to performance. Yeah. So if I played well on a Saturday, fine, we do the same routine next week. Play well on the Saturday after, no problem. And then I have a bad game. Jonesy, you're not sharp enough. Just because of one bad game. Yeah. Or, or one game where your level has dropped. Ah, Jonesy, you, you don't look sharp here. You, you're going to have to do this double session. And it's like, fucking hell, look what's worked for the last three weeks or so, you know? That's what I mean. And you're, you're an experienced player at that time as well. And I think that's kind of coming at the lower you go, that's coming out a little bit more. It yeah. doesn't matter what you've done in the past or the level you've played at. You know your own body. You're trying to say, look, I'm not trying to take the piss here. I don't want to train, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm doing this for a reason because I want to be ready for the Saturday. And a lot of, like, like you said, old school managers never had that growing up. I, I just think it affects players. Even players now, you look at 22, 23, they've had really bad knee injuries, they're coming back, they're good players. Yeah. Because they're, they're 22, 23, they're expected to train twice, uh, twice a day, every day of the week. You know, you can't, you can't have a day off, you're 22. Yeah. But you need that. You think he's got another, what, 13 years of playing? Think he's gonna play 13 years 
if if he's training twice a day and doing that, you can't. It's impossible. Do you think we? Do you think we've been spoiled in terms of that Wales setup? I I don't know. You might have a different experience. You might have got it earlier at your club. Under Gary Speed, Raymond Verheyen, Osh was there. That periodization that they brought in, that was new to me at that time, really. Um, and and I and I'd always leave a Wales squad thinking, oh my God, that is what I need every day. It's just impossible for everybody to be that way inclined, and it's getting better. I think it's just that I think we we were spoiled. We were spoiled. I think I was quite lucky. I had it reading. Um, through the years, uh, Brendan brought it in. He kind of looked after you. He was a great man management. He, he kind of told, he always asked you how you're feeling. We're doing this. You're okay. But then, like you said, we go from, from Tosh. So you'd go the opposite. and You'd go from your club where you had it to Tosh. Yeah. Where you didn't have it. Where you didn't have it. But because I was so young at the time, I didn't want to... I just wanted to impress. I wanted to do whatever I needed to do. I, I'd run. I think that was my game. I'd just run until I couldn't run anymore. Mm. Even in training, every day I used to do, just make sure I was, even on the, you know, the Optus stuff, I wanted to be in the top, whatever. Um, and looking back at it now, we we did. We kind of took it for granted how, how well we had it. You know, we had people looking after every single aspect. You come in in the morning, you do maybe a blood test, a saliva test to see kind of what level you're at. Oh, you're a bit tired today. We'll take you out. And it's not... I, I think it's, it's important for, for players at the elite level. You need, you need to have that. You need to have that. And you need to have that kind of open... Um, you need to be able to kind of talk to the manager and say, oh, I'm a bit, I'm a bit tired, it's like, okay, if I take, you know, if I go in the gym today, or a lot of managers now will say, no, yeah. you're getting out there. Because if I do it for you, I've got to do it for everyone. Yeah. But I think he's, uh, you know, as players now, you've, you've got to have that, you've got to be open with the manager. You were just like a little rat, weren't you, Churchy? Always mm. looking for little runs. And I just remember you always screaming, just always screaming. You oh. wanted the ball, even if there was like, if you had stood behind two players mm -hmm. and then I had a player blocking my view to you, you'd still be screaming for the ball. And it's like, Churchy, it's impossible, mate. No, I know, it's got to be frustrating. <laughs> do you know what I do? I, people say that. People have always said, why, why do you screech like that? It's like a screech, isn't it? It's like, ah! <laughs> But I, I always got told at a young age, I have a point and just shout. Yeah. So when you've got people like, when you play with Aaron, you shout, he doesn't even have to look at you. You don't even have In, to shout, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't even have to shout. No, he no. knows where you're going. But it's, it's got to be annoying, yeah. It's a good skill, it's a good skill. Talking, I found towards the end of my time playing, and, I, and you see it now, young players don't talk, mm. very rarely. So I would, because towards the end I couldn't run, so you almost have to talk yeah. to save yourself running and stuff. So I'd be a talker, organising and this and that. It's a good sign, and even if it's a, an awareness where Aaron, who doesn't need you to shout, because he will know where you're gonna, where you are, and where you're gonna go. But it's just, it's almost a reference point. He doesn't have to look up to see where you are, but a clever player will sense just by hearing your voice, he's here. Yeah. Because that was my game. My game was always to, to run in behind, try and create space for, for the ball players. Or 
if you haven't got anything else, whack it in my high and I'll chase it. Yeah. And that was all my, always my thing. I used to do, I, when I started off, I used to do too much. I used to be like, yes, yes, come back. 45, I'm coming out half time. I'm literally like, I wouldn't show it. I'd literally sit there and I'd think, oh my God, I've got another 45 minutes of this. But that, that, was, that was my game. It was always kind of, you know, chuck it in behind, I'll run after it, and hopefully something will happen off, of the, off the back of it. What was, your, uh, what was your first cap for Wales? Estonia. Estonia, where I think it was 2009. There was quite a few. To um, Tosh sent me a letter. So he's quite, he was quite old school, wasn't he? He never had a phone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't get hold of him. So he sent me a letter to the training ground. I think I played a few games. I did really well with the 21s. We had a really good 21s group and I kind of got told it was maybe thinking about getting a call up I broke into the Reading team yeah. and uh, I got a letter through he said yeah we'll call you up and there was me Joe Joe Allen Andy King we all made our debuts on that day Estonia um, yeah it was and you, so, so you boys had to wait a little while because you had that successful under 21s team I remember you playing against England where you went close almost qualified mm. Um, guys like Aaron, I guess, would have been given an earlier push. And then guys like yourself, Joe, had to wait a little bit longer. Did you, were you in that 21s just enjoying? Or were you looking on at the senior squad and thinking, I could play there, I'm ready now? Yeah, 100%. I think I, I started the 21s quite late. I started, when, well, when I was 18, 19. And we always kind of grew up together, had the same thing. But then folks would go off. Um, Aaron would go off and then boys would start seeing a route to the first team yeah. and there was always that there and you think if I do well in the 21s with under Flinney as well who was, who was brilliant it was a massive factor to us all being this, you know, a successful team you always knew there was kind of a route there if you did well yeah. so I kind of you know you just get on with it you see other boys going up coming back with you telling you about it and then the chance came. I scored. Uh, I scored a few goals against England. I scored a few goals in the in the twenty ones. Chance came, and I kind of wanted to make an impression. And luckily enough, I did, I did make an impression. I, I don't know what I think. Dean Saunders love love what I do. He kind yeah. of. He, I can remember him. Pull, he pulled me, and at the time, I'm twenty years old. I'm going to the first thing. Well, I'm just broke in the Reading team consistently. And he's, he's, it was Roy Evans, actually. He said, you know what, you, you remind me of, of Michael Owen. Right. And I was like, what? You remind me of Michael Owen? And I was like, you know what, you get, you get massive confidence. I started playing consistently for Wales at, at 20 years old, starting. Yeah. And, <clears throat> and it, was, it was just amazing. I just took it in my stride. But at the same time, I kind of took myself back and think, you know what, what an amazing opportunity. So who are the big hitters in the squad? Bellas? Bellas, uh, Gabs, Ernie. Because um, guys like Ash was at Swansea, uh, maybe starting to kick on, but not, yeah. one, of the, not one of the big hitters. Uh, Balo maybe not quite yeah, reaching again. where he was going to reach. Yeah. Still obviously an unbelievable talent. But it was, it was, you were in that transitional mm. period, weren't you, where the chances were given and it, it was sink or swim then. Yeah, it was. It was literally... Um, you would, you would say, you know, Chad Evans, Joe Allen, Joe Ledley, we all got the opportunity. And I think Tosh gave us that 
that chance and he he wasn't afraid you know we never kind of made the step up to to being close to qualifying throughout the campaigns whether it's the Euros World Cups and that was always our downfall but we kind of knew the more experience we had and you know as we kept growing we all grow together and we all had the same kind of team the same kind of players that were growing up together I think that was a massive a massive influence on why we did so well and then did you sense Maybe from your experience in the 21s, knowing that collectively you boys could play together, you could be successful, and then you mix that 21s team, the best of it, with some senior players who, who could con contribute, could, could add something, and then the standouts, Bale, Ramsey. Mm -hmm. Was it something you sensed, or was it just like, I just like turning up for Wales and joining up on, with my mates? Do you know what? I that was it. I loved it. I think when I first got into the squad, there was maybe a feeling of, you know what, it's a Wales of chucking an injury or something like that. For me personally, I was always there. Yeah. I loved it. I loved being there. I loved playing international football. I loved playing for Wales. I loved the whole setup. And it wasn't until kind of Gary Speed came in and changed the whole backroom staff, how we did it, how we approached games, team meetings, mm. analysis, stats. And it made a massive difference. And it was just so enjoyable as well. Group meetings. So instead of everyone there, it'd be centre forwards having one meeting. Yeah. And then whatever, 20 minutes after, midfielders, defenders. It was like, it's, it's more like the NFL, the American football where, but it makes sense, doesn't it? That, yeah. So we've gone from Tosh, who... Um, <clears throat> He'd, he'd stick 45 minute first half on. And, and the anthems. And the, we watched the anthems, yeah. We watched the anthems and we're all looking around. I can't remember, there was one time. Where did we go? We went Montenegro away or something. Someone's some sleeping. Yeah. I can't remember who it was. It might, <laughs> might even have been Toshak. I can't remember. But we're, watching, we're all sitting there for 45 minutes watching the game. And then it goes to Gary Speed and we've got clips. So we've got clips of... You know, like you said, we go strikers meeting. We've got clips of defenders, where they move, you know, with their positions, what they expect to do, how they cope with this kind of player. And, and also giving players ownership, asking players to actually, instead of just sitting there in a meeting and listen like a lecture, asking questions and putting you on the spot. Yeah, it catches you and, off guard. And Raymond Vahayan was the one for that, where yeah. he would... He'd ask a question. He's looking for a specific answer. You can't blag it. You can't just blag an answer like footballers would yeah. try and do it at times. It's just different, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, normally meetings, you sit there and it kind of goes in one ear, out the other. You're yeah. kind of like, okay, we've we'll got a meeting now. And then he would be, be up there talking about this, how we want to play. We all knew how we wanted to play. And then he'd go, Churchy, what would you do in this situation? What do you think? And you're like, oh, it's caught me off guard here. Blah blah blah. But then after a couple of uh, a couple of meetups, meet you, you know exactly what's expected of you. It's coming. Yeah. That question might be coming, so you've got to you've got to listen. Basically. Yeah, you've got to listen. You've got to understand what what they want from you. So um, it was it, it was brilliant. It was just a massive turning turning point in in Welsh football. I think. What, what do you remember of of the time, like finding out that that Gary Speed had died? I can remember actually I was in the changing room for um, changing room after training for Reading. Brian McDermott called me into uh, the office and he told me, and I was like, I couldn't I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it because um, 
Gary Speed was brilliant. He was a he was a great guy, mm. great man manager. And you just think, how has it got to this? Do you know what I mean? It was it was it was hard to take, and I think it showed by all the players being affected by it. And it was just this. It was just a strange time, real uh, strange time. The the Costa Rica game. Were you involved in that one? No, I was injured in that one. I was injured. I, I, I did come to it. You went there, spent a bit of time in the dressing room in that. Yeah. Because I, I spoke to Oshen uh, on, on the podcast recently and, and said I'd only been involved in a, in a handful of squads under Gary Speed, but uh, I remember I was injured at the time. I'd flown from Inverness to Norwich for a night out, heading to Luton Airport to fly back up, and the phone call or the text of a, of a mate asking, is it true about Gary Speed? And you're like, I don't know. And then it starts filtering through and it's like, really affect you do you know what I mean so yeah. you you as a as a part of that squad and not just the the changes he made in terms of the way of playing and and the professionalism for modern day football but just little things like bringing the families in for barbecues mm. and stuff like that you know it was, it was a huge huge time for, for Welsh football wasn't it 100% I think for players they had that bond with him he had that not everyone respected him as a player but until he came in and you work with him, you know, we only meet up for, what, 10 days, two weeks sometimes. In that time, he gets to know everyone. He spends t- he spent time with, with players one-to-one, talking about things quite open. Like he said, bring the families with you. So everyone's a part of a team. We're all together in this. And it was, yeah, it was, it was really strange, strange time because things were turning on the pitch as well at the mm. time. We we changed the style of play. We all knew what we were doing, and it it was working. It was working. It was such a defining time. And then Chris Coleman comes in as the gaffer, and that hard period. Were you thinking, ah, the gaffer's not the one, or was it just a case of just a huge hangover because the situation was different to any other? You know, for him to come in under those circumstances was so so hard. Did you always have the faith? We had the faith. I think at at the time um, there was kind of a bit of a hangover. Let me let me spin it a little bit. Then did you did you as players feel at times that you were letting him down, knowing he, the good work he was putting in behind the scenes and the criticism he was getting? It's just you boys just couldn't quite get the results. Yeah, I, I think we took that on our shoulders probably a bit too much. We felt like we had to kind of do this in honour of of. Gary, but also with Chris as well, because he's taken the job at such a difficult time, it's, and there was a lot of pressure on us to kind of get get to that level we were we were destined to go to mm. and looking to get to. And it wasn't until um, you know I, I, th- I think there was one game in Macedonia, and I scored I scored it, and I remember him. I scored we won one nil, and I think his job was on the line a little bit. He came to me after and he said, "You just saved my job there." Yeah. And that, like, for me on a personal level, I loved him from day dot. I, the, the minute he came in, the boys respected him. He knew what it was like to be part of the squad. He understood. And it was, uh, I thought it was brilliant. He's a brilliant man. Again, I touched that. I was only involved with Gary Speed in a handful of squads. Similar with Chris Coleman, really, a handful. But I would have done anything for the guy. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and, and I think sometimes you speak to people who don't realise the importance of what he did in that dressing room in terms of on a personal level yes but you know the way he got the team playing I, I don't I don't think he 
still doesn't get the credit. I know we got to the semis in the Euros, brilliant Chris Coleman. Still don't think he fully gets the credit he deserves for what he brought out of, of the dressing room you were involved in. No, he just created an atmosphere, didn't he, where it was so enjoy everyone wanted to be in the squad. You want to go. You want to be together. He just had this aura about him where he yeah. could have a laugh. Yeah. But he also had a respect, you know, the way he walks, the way he kind of talks. You have a laugh and a joke. But when he's making his point, you're listening. He's just a man you want. You want, you want to be his mate. Yeah. You want him to like you and think, oh, I'd like for, to go for a pint with him one day. Don't you? 100%. And we, we did it. Like, if he told me to go head first into that door, run and just jump, knock yourself out, I'll, I'll do it. Yeah. I'd do it 100%. And it's very rare to get that in football, isn't it? Where you're all rooting for the same thing, but wanting to do it for him as well. It, it was brilliant. But it was him, Osh, Kit, um, Trolls came in as well. And it was just such a such an amazing group, such an amazing time to be to be part of that. And obviously the, the time of your life, I guess you can look back and think what happened in your career after the Euros. That was always going to be the pinnacle, but it's not as if you've got even a taste of anything afterwards. That that was the one. You could have retired at the end of that. Oh, no. I, I mean, we got promoted for for Reading. We won the league, got promoted to the Premier League. That that that, that, that doesn't even touch the size of what, what we experienced for... I think we were away for about seven weeks, so I didn't see my kids for seven weeks. Yeah. They, they, they were too young to make the, the journey over. And it, it started... I think Gunt's touched on this. It was before the first game. We were away for a while. Uh, you know, everyone enjoyed being there. They weren't saying, oh, this is dragging a little bit. Yeah. And then before the first game, bang, he'd, he'd done something special where he got all the families to say, good luck, we miss you, we love you. Oh, it's like Big Brother. Oh, yeah, it's a bit, cr you know, we're all there yeah, crying. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's like, you're so caught up in it. We kept, we were kept away from everything. So we didn't understand how big it was back, back in Cardiff, back in Wales. And um, it was, it was amazing. It was an amazing time. And, you know, the whole, the whole journey, even days, you know, we've got 10 days to our next game. You think, oh, okay. Every day we're doing something, whether it's training, there's an outing, we're all there together. You know what it's like when we're all together. It was amazing. We had a court. Yeah. And it was just, it, we were laughing every day. It was such a good, good vibe, good atmosphere. It's class because, you know, the, back in the day when we started off, if you had two games for a, a qualifying campaign, it meant 10 days away, long. Mm. You know, I used to take my DVDs and stuff, but you know you could sense the boredom. Yeah. Because the togetherness wasn't quite there in the no. squads and stuff, but for you boys to go away for seven weeks. Just before the tournament, got beat by Sweden 3-0. Yeah. Yeah, comfortable, comfortable um, win for them. And I remember people saying, people, fans would have been happy if we would have scored a goal. You know, that first goal against Slovakia, they would have been happy. Uh, to win a game, amazing. Because of, not negativity after the Sweden game, we, we'd had a few games after qualifying where we'd lost a couple and things didn't go quite go our way. But I always had the belief that our squad of players weren't quite good enough to perform in friendlies. When, they got, when there wasn't backs against the wall, that wasn't there. There wasn't something on it. So to lose against Sweden, I was thinking, that's okay. You know, I, I think they're saving something 
even though there's no switch that you can use. Is, is that yeah. what you put? That's the longest question I've ever asked in my no, life. No, it's quite long, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, it, 100%. We, we thought, you know, this is just a friendly game. This is just for fitness. We, you know, the manager put that on us. He said, don't take anything out of this apart from your match sharpness, your match fitness. We're trying things. We're... You said that after? No, he said this before. Okay. He said this before because we didn't want to put our pressure uh, pressure on ourselves to say if we win this game, it's going to be momentum going into the. And thing. there was only only six games till the Slovakia game, so you know there must be a concern of injuries. Yeah, of course, of course, there, there was that, and there was a lot of kind of, you know, we didn't know the team, we didn't know the team, so he's using everyone. We had a we had an in house match when we went to uh, we went to Marbella on a pre uh, pre camp. And there was a few injuries there. And we're thinking, okay, we've got, we got to be careful here. Um, had the Sweden game, we lost. We were, all, we were all pretty down after that, we thought. But we kept away from the media. We kept away from what everyone else said. And in-house, we always knew if we get a chance, that you know, the Belgium game uh, in qualifying, these kind of big games, we've yeah. produced. We've produced. Like you said, the friendlies, we've never kind of... There's never been anything on the line. So no. we kind of, we want to win the game. We want to put in a good performance, but we've never really kind There's of... There's some teams who can win friendlies by coasting. Yeah. We, we're we not quite that. on that level, no. are we? No. But until we got there, until we got to the first game against uh, Slovenia. Slovakia. Slovenia. Slovakia. Oh, goodness. And... Um, that Guinness is getting to your head. I'll tell you what, I've had two. It shows what a lightweight I am. And... Uh, You've seen the corner. You come out of the stadium, you yeah. see the stadium, driving up to the stadium, you think, okay, that's amazing. Get in the changing room, come out, and you see the corner, and you think, okay, this is real. And the fans, our relationship with the fans grew through that camp qualifying campaign. And they were such a massive factor. We had such a good connection. We thought, you know what, they've helped us get to here. And we want to do it for them. And they were, ma I can remember the big red corner. And we thought in the change room, you could see everyone was like getting a lit. The anthem, the anthem was the biggest one. You see boys crying, we're all there, goosebumps. And it's just, a, what an amazing experience. We're in the Euros here. Let's, we're not here to make the numbers up. Let's go and do, do what we've done in the qualifying campaign, prove everything, everyone wrong. And again, we, we come up with the goods. Like, I've got, I've got goosebumps. I don't know if it's a bit chilly. I think yeah. the aircon's on here. Again, I've got goose, goosebumps. <laughs> think, you know, you, you describing that. Because I'm, I'm a character who, in terms of the fans, I've been abused too often mm. to really care for fans and their opinions. But that was genuine. You know, talk about the red wall and that affinity. That was, it was evident for anybody watching because sometimes you see like a foreign team, Borussia Dortmund or something, and the yeah. club where the players go hand in hand and do the waves, wee, yeah. wee. And there's that, just that connection. And you boys had that. Special, isn't it? It's, it's so special. Like you said, other cl club. It's a pretend, it's a pretend connection, isn't it? Come on. You get battered by these guys all, all the time. You could score a hat-trick and someone's still having you off. Yeah. And it's just like, it's hard to get that connection with the fans where, but internationally, what we achieved throughout the qualifying campaign, even from the beginning, it kind of grew and grew and grew. And we could feel that everyone was behind us. Everyone was supporting us. And it grew and grew. Hold on, we've got a chance of qualifying here. It grew, everyone's, it was positive. 
And you know when you've got a positive vibe behind you, you know in the change room is positive, everything's positive. It works in your favour. Football is quite a negative place, I, I've, I've found. Yeah. From, from outside influence, fans. Even when they're in the dressing room, it can be... Dre- yeah, you've mate. got people saying, oh, it's fucking crap, this training shit. We're not winning, we're crap, peace crap. All that kind of stuff. But with the Wales team, I, I never felt that. Especially that, that Even whole as a time. guy who wouldn't start every game, you're a part of the squad. I knew my I knew my role. Yeah, which I knew is my role, isn't it? Yeah, and I wasn't. I can remember the first game. This was this was a great thing about Chris Coleman. Brought us in, brought me in, sat me down. We all had individual meetings before. You know, he says, "I just want to thank you for your application and being being brilliant." I said, "I'm not going to start you on the first game." I just laughed. I nearly laughed. I was like, "I'm not expecting to. I'm going to play Gareth." What? No problem. Oh, really? Yeah. What, Gareth? Look at El Come on. But that's the kind of guy guy he was. He wanted to kind of say, but you will get your chance. Yeah. And he stuck to his word. Yeah. yeah. And I always believed, no matter what, every game I was up there warming up, I was sweating on the warm-up, thinking, this could be it. If not, no problem. And we were so together, it didn't matter who started. We won. We all won together. Scored. We all scored together. You know... The amount of celebrations that we all had where boys were running to the bench yeah. and we're all together. And you just you can't you can't get that. It happens every so often that you get a group like that. And it, I can't see it being the same. Definitely, because I, I, I don't know that like the, the often at clubs, international bonus structures can be structured to just the lads who played. I, I always tend to, it might be because I've been on the bench so often. I liked it. When it was shared, not for selfish reasons, I think it adds that togetherness. There's an element of, right, if you give everyone the same, some some people can settle for being on the bench and they don't want to come on because yeah. they're, getting, they're getting their feed anyway. You know, that's wrong, obviously. So it's a, it's a catch-22 situation. Mm. But that squad, the lads who started every game, you could sense the appreciation of the squad, that you were all in it together, the the kangaroo court, little yeah. things that just made a difference. It's not about just that 11, is it? No, no. And you know you know what it's like when you... We've got a game on Saturday. On the Tuesday, we're doing 11 v 11 shape and you're not in the squad. You know, but you still train, you still train at the level yeah. because you want to help. You want to be part of it. You want to kind of... And it, it, it's t- if you have that in your club, I don't think you have that. I think you think... I should be starting here. I can't be bothered to be playing against the team eleven. I, I should be in that. I'm not really fast. But the Wales, it's just completely different. And I think that comes down from the manager, the staff. Everyone wanted to achieve and they knew what it took. And everyone knew their role in the squad. If you're going to come on, if you're going to start, if you're not going to come on but you're part of the squad, you're still part of training, you're there to be a part of this piece that where we all get this success. Did you sense that buzz? As were you just living day to day, thinking, "I am loving this. I'm loving being part of this squad," or was there a little voice in your head saying, "Churchy, this is different, mate. You know, you're part of something real special here." Yeah, I think it was that. I think um, I had a bit of bad luck. I was pl- I was playing. I started the first couple of games in the qualifying campaign. Now dislocate my shoulder after thirty seconds. Yeah, it's pretty embarrassing. But um, after that. I didn't. I didn't really start. I kind of dropped back to the bench, and I. It's, it became a battle between Volksy and Hal then. For, yeah, and yeah. I was maybe coming on last 10, 
15 minutes. But again, if I was at my club, I would have gone to the manager. I said, listen, what's going on? I was starting here. I'm not getting my chance now. For, for Wales and under Chris Coleman, he always kind of had that, that openness to talk and he was always saying, you, you'll get your chance. And I, I was comfortable with, with being on the bench and coming on maybe, sometimes not even coming on. I was comfortable to be part of the squad because, as you said, it's something special. This is an amazing group. We're going to achieve great things. I want to be part of that. Let's take it back a notch then, because um, I think on the podcast, there's only Gunts that I've spoke to so far who's been a part of this squad recently. Who We know Gunts is in the squad he plays. But for you, going into this major tournament, Wales' first ever major tournament, well, first one since 58, first one in the modern era, what was it like for the squad announcement? Did you have a little... There must your heart must have been pounding thinking this is cut, getting cut to 23 you know were you confident I'm always going to be in there or were you thinking oh my god this is this is nerve wracking do you know what I think ever since I broke into the squad at 20 I'd always been called up even if I wasn't playing I was getting called up by Wales and that kind of gave me a bit of a confidence but at the same time I was thinking this, this isn't going to last forever I need to start doing something I need to start um and then it started that campaign. I went, I went to MK Dons. I was play, uh, we were playing now and again. We had this thing, the manager wanted to play. If you're a striker, you play two games and then you miss the next two games. The other striker plays the two games and right. you never get a flow. And we weren't doing well in the league. I can remember we got to about December. I said, we were bottom, second bottom of the league. We're not scoring many goals. I scored about two or three goals. I was thinking, I've got the Euros in the summer. Yeah. I need to do something now. I phoned up Chris Coleman, spoke to him. And I said, look, I'm, think I'm thinking about, they wouldn't allow me to go to another championship club. I would have either gone to uh, League One or gone to Aberdeen, Scotland. And I was at a crossroads here. I said, I need to, I need to make a decision because this is make or break for me, mm. for my opportunity for the Euros. Failed him, I said, go for it. Go for Aberdeen, I trust you. So I did Aberdeen, luckily it went well, scored a few goals. But even then, after that, and I scored, I scored against uh, Northern Ireland the last, um, the last home game yeah. before we went to the Euros, come on, scored. Even after that, I thought, it might, have done me, it, might me, it might have done me a favour, but I'm still kind of looking over my shoulder thinking, am I going to get in this? Yeah. We went to Marbella on the camp and no one knew. I think there was about 28. And we're all sitting there every night. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, there's this. He's going to be in it. He's going to be. That's a maybe. I'm writing them down. I'm thinking, I'm like. Well, I'm writing them down. I'm working for the media yeah. leading up to the tournament. I'm doing the same. So you must have been. I, I was thinking, okay. How many strikers is he going to take? I, yeah. Because if he takes five or whatever, of course I'm in. If he takes four, oh, bloody hell. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was. And it, it was a nerve-wracking time. I always thought, you know, there was a chance, but then there's a chance I might not. And how would I feel if I wasn't? I'd have been gutted. I was thinking, okay. And then you start thinking, if I'm not in, that's, that's my worst career over. Things like that start to come into, into what, your mind. Was there a striker who missed out? Uh, I can't think. I can't remember. I remember... No. I remember the squad was announced and Emir wasn't in it. Yeah. But then he played against Sweden and you you played well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was that a weird one for you guys? Because from the outside, especially losing three 0 mm. Did he start that game or did he come on and do real well? 
I think he came on. Yeah. I think he came on. So, like, for fans, they're thinking, how is he not going? Were, mm. you, were you guys, anything cross your mind, or was it just... Well, we, we I can remember, because after that Sweden uh, game, we were flying back to our, to our homes for two or three days, and then we'd kind of find out then. But what Chris Coleman did on the, on the plane... After Marbella. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So after, yeah, yeah. after Marbella kind of um, told people in the, in the airport that kind of way. And you could see, you know, it's kind of slowly getting whittled down. You could see the people getting towards her. I was thinking, you know what, just try and stay away from it. Maybe if you don't catch it, you can get on it. But eventually we kind of got the, got the news and people got told Tom Lawrence, I mean, Hughes, like he said, and they were absolutely gutted. I mean that that's got to be the hardest the hardest thing to come that far and be involved with the training camp be so play some games and then I can't imagine what they went through that time but you know they're good players they've gone on to do really good things after that um, but I can remember that flight home and I was I was absolutely buzzing I went home yeah, but he didn't say anything to you no he you didn't say anything but you lads. kind of knew yeah. you know I, I'm in there and then obviously it got announced and when I got announced. I, Hit the roof, and then the tournament goes on, and obviously you make an appearance in the semi-final of the Euros, and I see it quite often these days. Whether it might be a top-level player, I can't think someone like Wayne Rooney now, mm. and then there's always the example. You know, he's he's gonna he retired from international football, and Wales fans will be on it saying, you know, he's done this, he's done that, but he hasn't played in the Euros semi-final like Simon Church oh I get that all the time yeah I get that all the time and do you know what you get bad on Twitter you get all that kind of stuff but it's true it's a compliment yeah I mean for the first time I get I can remember like some uh, I just used to get absolutely battered if you go on Twitter I, don't, I stop looking at Twitter and all that kind of stuff because yeah. you just get came but when that comes through you kind of laugh you think <laughs> yeah got one over him there yeah and you just, I've played in the semi-final of the Euros. No one can ever take that away from me. And like you said, it's, the, it's probably the, it's the pinnacle. After that, I was like, oh, I couldn't care less what, what happened. What other games did you, did you come on in? I played against Russia, and that yeah. was it. Okay. So Russia and Portugal. Russia and Portugal, and the Russia game. That was perfection, mate. Like, I, I know Belgium. Belgium will go down for me as the greatest Wales performance mm. because of the opposition, yeah. going 1-0 down again that screamer and yeah. the pressure and you're thinking oh shit yeah. and then just turned it on but the Russia one from start to finish was perfection and we there was a confidence you could tell there was a confidence after the English uh, after the England game it could have been easy for us to kind of head down you know this is it it's done but the way we the way we trained leading up to it we knew there was kind of we're going to smash them really? we're going to smash them here and the way we played in that game was insane. It was insane. We kind of, everything went to plan. The way we played, everything come off. Even tails scored. I mean, Bloody when, when do you ever see that? My God. And but it, the, does that come down to you talking about the training? Is that also down to the footage you saw of them and seeing the weaknesses? We see, yeah. I think it, we, we obviously do our homework quite. That back line was slow, mate. I could have fitted in there and been seen as the quick one. But you see, you see when Gareth and Aaron and Joe, they kind of led to their own devices. They go where they want to go. They're yeah. just picking gaps. And you, see, you saw it from early. You sensed from early, we're going to have a good time here. And they're just picking gaps through balls. We had a couple of chances early on. 
and you just sensed in the stadium as well that there was a massive following. Yeah, and, and it was, was a, it was just a beautiful state. I think they called it the mini Wembley because of yeah, the, you wouldn't have seen it. There's a walkway like Wembley Way. Uh, the weather in Toulouse oh, was beautiful. Yeah. I remember the sun setting just behind the stadium. It was it was beautiful, mate. It was just one of those days where. So you saw the, that crowd? Oh, the crowd. We, we walked out. This is the thing. We walk, we get there, get, dump all your stuff, have a look at the, have a look through the programme. Then we go out to the pitch and the Welsh, Welsh fans are there early. Mm. You see them building up, building up. You come out for the warm up, bang. They're all around the corner, all singing, everyone's. And the atmosphere is so good. You think, okay, this is brilliant. It's amazing to be part of. And you sense that and you get that back in the change room. We've got the music on, everyone's in a good mood. You're going out there. What a game! Even after the game, the best thing was after, and you see all the fans and you, you jump around the fans. We could have been there for hours. Yeah, we could have been there for hours. So two very different experiences in the Euros. Then one, you would have come on when it was three nil. Yeah, three. Yeah, three yeah, nil. yeah. So it, job done, qualifying, uh, and then the uh, the semi final where you would have come on at two nil and mm. chasing your tails, just hoping a chance falls your way. Yeah. Two very different experiences, but you know, two that you can hold hold dear to you. Oh, hundred percent. I think it's different when you're cu- when you're coming on as a as a striker. You know, you either come on to do a job for the team, or you're coming on to try and nick a goal. And uh, for me, I was so excited just to come on, just to touch a ball. I played in the Euros. Yeah. I'm part of this amazing squad, a part of this amazing journey. <clears throat> then in the Euros. You're coming on. You think, oh, this is my job. Oh, I need to do something now. I need to score. I need to get us back into in it. In semi, yeah? Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it is two different experiences. And the feeling we had when we lost the game at the end and we went over to the corner again, at the masses, we looked around and we thought, we're gutted here. We're gutted. In the semi-final of the Euros as a Welsh team, we're gutted. And we thought we should have done more from that. Do you think it was... Um I remember the the Belgium win, and watching on. So we were we were in a box in every game, saying one corner of the ground. Watching the game, uh, sometimes I'd step out of the box to watch it and really get the atmosphere. And at the end of the Belgium game, I I, I remember, unbelievable result, incredible performance, but the players were spent. Mm. I remember some were lying flat on their backs, like. The emotion would have took a lot out of them. Mm. Physicality of the game as well. What was the days leading up to the Portugal game? Trying to get yourselves back up, you know, the lads who who had played. Yeah. Or were you confident? I think I, I think you're right. I think it was such an emotional time. We were away from our families for so long. We've achieved what we achieved, and the Belgian game was such a massive game. We lost um, Ben Davis. We lost Aaron, which was massive which was massive for us. They were a massive part of how... Uh, they had great tournaments anyway, but they were a massive part of how well we played and part of our systems. Yeah. Um, that kind of took a... Not knocking anyone who came in, because they... It's just the reality. It's just it? reality, yeah. Um, and I think we kind of realised after that, you know, we're in the semi-finals now. Let's, let's see what happens. Whereas before we were there to kind of do a job, we want to get through. Obviously, we wanted to get through and get to the final. But I think there was maybe a slight change in in mindset. You know, let's see what happens. 
that was the kind of feeling we we got. We wanted to do it and we just didn't didn't have enough. I think we ran out of steam by then. But again, to achieve to achieve that was incredible. So now, Churchy, you're 29. You've been forced to retire from something that you've done all your adult life. Um, personally, I think I got injured for the last time the day after I turned 30. So similar. What's what's the plans? Have you have you got plans? Because there's concerns for, I've got concerns for any player who, who retires. Are you going in there with your eyes open? Are you, are you, do you understand what you're facing now? Have you got things lined up? Yeah, I've got a I've got a property business now that that's looking to help players invest in kind of a, a stable, profitable business or property that that kind of gives you the the income for after football so yeah. you're not rely you're not relying on you know when players finish like you said they don't know what they're going to do they don't probably have anything behind them that's going to give them income where they don't have to worry because when you're a footballer you think it's going to last forever but like at 29 30 do you have things in place that if you retire can you maintain that that stability financially mm. And that's what I want to kind of bring into and give the the players options, trustworthy. I've got great partners who are, who are um, you know, they know the industry inside out and they know what's good, what's not. And we can give them that advice and maybe give them a platform for them to, to push on. Um, but also I'm doing a, an academy as well. I love kind of the grassroots. All I wanted to do when I was younger was play football and be a footballer. Mm. That's what I looked up to. And I think where, where I... I grew up in, uh, in in Buckinghamshire area. There's not really anything like that. I was told I'd never be a footballer. I need to go to school. And why why can't why can't you have that dream? Why can't you see that someone's come from there, the same area? And and all I wanted to do was football. Yeah. But I wasn't kind of given that opportunity to do that. I was always told, no, you've got to do this. You've got to do that. You've got to be here. You've got to be there. So that academy is going to be in your name? Uh, no, it's going to be a kind of a, a joint thing with with First Touch Football. It's called is a is a local community, and also it's Amersham Town. So we're looking to to do it in a local uh, local semi professional club that shows that there's a, a route forward. And the property business, that's in your name, isn't it? That uh, yeah, church church investments. It's uh, yeah. it is what. It, does what it says on the tin, doesn't it? Yeah. Does, does exactly what it says on the tin. <laughs> tell you what, I haven't been creative with that, have I? No, but, you know, it's it's a good point. You know, I think players, doesn't matter what you earn, when mm. you finish playing, your wage stops. So you go from everything to nothing. Mm. So, you know, if, you, if you're going down that road where somebody is in a financial position where they can buy two, three, four, whatever properties and that brings them income every month... I think it's a good thing, mm. but it's not even it's not even that. It's trying to just help educate them on a different side. Maybe you know, with the property, a lot of people are trying to pay off their their properties as soon as they get the advice to pay off the properties as soon as possible. Mm. And you know, your mortgage is up here, and then when you stop, you've still got to be paying that mortgage. Yeah, how are you going to pay it? Yeah, things like that. It's just little little bits of advice and things in place, and you know. That kind of thing. I just want to help. I've had dodgy investments. I'm sure you've had been approached with with dodgy stuff, um, uh, and advice. And yeah, I just want to be the kind of go to go to company and people that I'd like to think I'm trustworthy and I've got quite a good reputation of being a a good guy. So the PGA Tour, 
Is that going to be next on your agenda? We've had a game of golf today. Yeah, what do you think? Nah, stick to your investments, mate. <laughs> I'll tell you what, the four iron's not bad. Four iron's good, four, mate. It's everything else. It's got the touch of a rhino. What <laughs> <laughs> touch is like my football into a real powerhouse, aren't you? Yeah. As soon as you attack that ball. But sometimes when you're 120 yards from the green and you attack it and you hit a ball 20, 250 yards, it's, it's not the good, wrong move, it? mate. You're not bad, though. You're not bad at all. It's all about practice, mate. Hopefully you've got loads of time now to invest on, into the golf course. That's, a, that's if my missus lets me. She'll let you, mate. She'll let you. Churchy, it's been a pleasure, mate. Good luck to you, whatever you decide to do next. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, mate. And there we go. Another one in the can. Simon Church. Uh, fascinating insight into his story. His injury troubles. Uh, obviously, the unbelievable success being a part of, of that that Wales squad that, that went to the semi-finals of the Euros, coming on in the semi-final of the Euros. Um, so big thanks to him for his time. Hopefully he enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, shout out once again to Cancer Research Wales for for the incredible work that they are doing in raising money for such a good cause. And it, and it does help. So if you guys can help in any way, please do. Thank you to Hanishan Golf Club. Enjoyed a real good day there. Beautiful conditions, beautiful golf course. So if you're in the, the Cardiff area and fancy a swing, get yourselves down to Hanishan Golf Club. And um, hopefully you guys enjoyed and you can spread the word and tell a friend about the podcast. Subscribe, download, uh, leave a review, leave a star rating. I've seen a couple of one star ratings. Who left those? What a shambles. Anyway, hopefully you enjoyed. Till the next time, ta-da.